Good evening, everyone. Happy third week of Advent. This is the, the week in which we get to rejoice. That beautiful opening words of Mass from last weekend, Gaudete, in the words of St. Paul, rejoice. Gaudete in Domino. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And so that's what we're trying to do this week. If you heard my homily this week, we get that Mass, though, it's not easy to rejoice at this time. We know we've got uh, a lot of difficulties, and so really that, that is, in fact, why Paul gives us that advice to rejoice, because we need to. We don't need to be told to rejoice when everything's good and, and happy. We need to be reminded to rejoice when things seem difficult, and perhaps we need to wait on the Lord and find out what it is that God is going to do to bring good out of whatever situation we're in. And we know he's going to. So tonight we got a, a couple things we want to talk about. I, I entitled tonight's uh, Sean the Baptist Live, Go, 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 Joseph. And for those Broadway Andrew Lloyd Webber fans out there, that is, of course, a, a reference to the great, amazing biblical masterpiece, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And uh, there's a, a cute little song in there. Go, 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 Joseph, you'll make it someday. Shalala, Joseph, you're doing okay. Shalala, Joseph, you're doing fine. You and your dreamcoat ahead of your time. That one. Now, of course, that's a different Joseph than what we're kind of going to talk about tonight because that's, of course, referring to Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, the son of Jacob. Jacob! Jacob and sons! Yeah, that one. That Joseph who goes down to, to Egypt to get sold to a hairy bunch of Ishmaelites on their way down there by his brothers. And because of that Joseph, uh, all of Israel which is Joseph by another name, makes their way to Egypt. And that's where we are eternally grateful because had that not happened, we would not have the great movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, with Moses coming out of Egypt and all that. So what does that Joseph have to do with the uh, Joseph, husband of Mary, foster father of Jesus? We're going to talk about that because there is a connection other than just the, the musical. Now, but before we do that, though, uh, there might be a few bit of uh, Advent housekeeping things to take care of. Um, and let me just say at the, the beginning here, I'm, I'm trying to follow the, the comments, as always. So uh, it used to be with the, the Facebook Live videos that you could see, like, um, you know, which of your friends were, were watching and things. Apparently, I don't know, Facebook decided that was a privacy issue. Uh, so they, they did away with that. Now, I know if I were to, you know, want to do my Christmas shopping... I mean, probably the best way to do that is just to like yell out what you want and then wait for Facebook to post an ad. So the idea that Facebook is implementing privacy so I can't see like which of my friends is watching, that seems uh, a little bit difficult. But uh, we do have uh, Lisa is on. That's wonderful. She's a uh, Gosser and Moore. Lisa's here a lot. Teresa Smith, our director of adult faith formation, and Kathy Brennan from Most Spirit of Mary in Topeka. Uh, so I can see those people. So if you're on, Go ahead and maybe just uh, post um, your name that you're here so I can kind of see uh, because I, I don't get to see anymore. I can see like there's a, about a dozen people on right now, but I, I can't quite see who. So feel free to do that. Other thing I need you to do, if you haven't liked the Sean the Baptist page, and so that that is the page I am I'm broadcasting from tonight. If you haven't actually liked that page, not just follow it, but actually click like. I think you can just like hover over the Sean the Baptist name somewhere on Facebook and it'll pop something up and you can click like. Please like me. I, I really don't have like an inferiority complex or anything like that. But if you like me, then I can invite you to things and, and let you know about what's going on in the world of 
Sean the Baptist and St. Patrick's Parish here in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, I am I am happy to uh, keep you all connected as well. So please like me. Uh, Bob Doris also uh, here from from the parish and Carmen. Carmen Park is on. So yay. So we're gathering. I am uh, learning a little bit more about, oh, Beth Pittman, too. Good Joseph jokes. All right, that's that's great. I'll keep them coming. Um, yeah, I've got, well, I've got most of the musical memorized, so there's plenty of Joseph stuff where that came from. Uh, so we'll, we'll try to keep the music coming. But um, yeah, so thanks for that. Thanks for checking in, people. And, um, you know, if there's something that you would like to hear about tonight, I am totally open to that. Uh, as you've been seeing, we, we used to go... I say we, I mean me, used to go for about a half an hour every day, you know, back in the early days of COVID. Now uh, I do just once a week for the, the live show here. And uh, so I try to go about an hour. But I got to tell you, I, I'm kind of banking on people asking questions because I don't know if I got enough for an hour. I mean, you know me, I can talk. Uh, but um, if there's stuff you want to talk about, let me know. I do want to talk about Joseph. Uh, but there are, there are a couple other uh, things. First of all, the morning message. Um, the, uh, Sean the Baptist Studios, Sean the Baptist Industries, I don't know, uh, Sean the Baptist Media, we're, we're up to three podcasts, and by we I mean me, again, but if you have three podcasts, it sounds like you've got we, uh, so there are three podcasts now, the one that started it all, the formerly titled Voice in the Wilderness, now just Sean the Baptist Homilies, uh, that's got about, um, it's coming up on a great kind of milestone, about 40,000 people. Uh, total have checked that out since I started counting a couple years ago. So um, that's a big one. I've started independently counting my other two podcasts, which one of those, believe it or not, you're listening to, because when this live video ends, I will actually do two things with it. One, I will take the video and upload it to YouTube, uh, because a lot of people don't have Facebook or don't want to create an account or log in. So I put it on YouTube. You can get that from SeanTheBaptist.org or subscribe to my YouTube channel. That would be a great thing to do too, to show your love. Uh, the other thing I, I do then is I also put it out in uh, audio format for a podcast. So if you go to seanthebaptist.org, click on podcast in the menu or go forward slash podcast and it'll show you all three podcasts in multiple different ways that you can subscribe according to your podcasting ability. And the final podcast, uh, so we've got the homilies, we've got Sean the Baptist Live, and then every day, every single day, you can get the Morning Message podcast, which is about five minutes. So you want just a five-minute little quick hit, maybe about the readings, maybe about the saint, maybe just about what's going on in the world. Morning Message is great. I normally record it about 9 o'clock, 9.15-ish live on Facebook. It is live. If you're just hanging out on Facebook, you can uh, follow me and like me on Facebook, and you'll get a message. Uh, but when I'm done, I do the same thing. I, I upload the video, and then I upload the audio for a podcast. So that's a, that's a little bit of what's going on with Sean the Baptist Enterprises. Uh, get all three of the podcasts and, and check out my uh, my webpage at seanthebaptist.org. All right, uh, Kathy Brennan is asking, is this the year of St. Joseph? Yes, that is part of what inspired me to talk about St. Joseph tonight, uh, that Pope Francis, uh, as popes are wont to do sometimes, uh, created a special year of, uh, you know, we've had like a year of priest, a year of mercy, uh, you know, uh, John Paul II created a year of the rosary and, and those sort of things. Um, well, Pope Francis has named a year of St. Joseph for the, the year coming up. So why not talk about Joseph, I thought, uh, because, hey, the Pope is talking about him. So lots of people are talking about him. What do we really know about St. Joseph? And, and that's maybe going to be the, uh, 
the main subject of tonight. But there are, there are a couple little Advent, uh, Advent tidbits I want to give you tonight as we start out. So first off, um, today is, well, December 16th. Uh, and so you may not realize it, but the, the liturgy of, of the church is really about to take a, well, a sort of a, an important shift starting tomorrow. And uh, you might ask, well, what is tomorrow? Tomorrow is a week before the vigil of Christmas. Why does that matter? Well, because in the church's liturgy, and, and by the liturgy, I don't just mean the mass here. Sometimes we talk about the liturgy and we think about the mass. Uh, there's a lot more to the liturgy than just the mass. Uh, most especially the prayer that is prayed most often, the liturgy that is most prevalent is either called the liturgy of the hours in modern terms or the divine office in the uh, traditional language. And that is the, the prayers that are prayed at the various hours during the day. We've talked about that on here before. We're talking like matins, lauds, prime, terst, sex, non, those, those first, third, sixth, and ninth hours of the day, vespers, a lot of people have heard the word vespers, that's evening prayer, and then compline, or the completion, the night prayer of that. So prayers and uh, the, the priests and religious are required to pray all those every day. Um, but starting tomorrow, on the 17th, we, we have seven days of basically everything for that liturgy is, is specific to that day. I mean, it gets so specific that on one day it's like, don't worry, in, in four days the Lord will come, you know. Um, but what this is is, is that uh, I mentioned that there's are multiple different comings that we're kind of working on here during Advent. There's the, the coming of, of Jesus, um, you know, right now every day. There's the coming of Jesus at the end of time which we've kind of been focusing on for the beginning of Advent, the, the coming of Jesus at the end of the world. But now, all right, let's face it, the coming we're really all thinking about is Christmas. And now, now that's an event that took place 2,000 years ago, but we relive it every year. And so now in these last days before Christmas, beginning tomorrow, the 17th, we really do start to focus more on the coming of Jesus as a little baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. So kind of uh, the, the church increases the intensity and the focus of our prayer. So particularly the, the prayers in the Liturgy of the Hours, but also the Mass um, are specific for those days, counting down the days to Christmas, as it were. Of particular note, uh, I want to point out for the, the upcoming days in the Liturgy of the Hours, at Vespers each day, um, every day, so whether it's Advent or Christmas or not, uh, we pray Mary's Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we do that every day. But to give it a little color, as it were, to the day, there is a, an antiphon or a little verse kind of that we, we say before and after it. Uh, so it's in a different context each day. Well, beginning tomorrow, we have the most famous set of these antiphons over the next seven days. Uh, and they are known as the O antiphons, like the letter O. Uh, why, you may ask? Well, because each of these antiphons start with the word O uh, and then give a different title of the Messiah. Now, you would know these verses probably from the famous Advent song. And let's face it, how many Advent songs do you know? O come, O come, Emmanuel. That song, if you follow each of the verses, is one of the O antiphons from Vespers for the days of the 17th through the 23rd. So uh, we have O Wisdom, so O Sapientiae, uh, O Sapientia, we, we start out with on the 17th. Uh, then we have O Adonai, 
Orotix Yesse, so that's O O Lord, O Root of of David. Um what am I missing here? Um uh O Oriens, O Rex Gentium, and O Emmanuel. Uh oh, oh I forgot uh, O Clavis Davidica, O Key of David. That's the that's the fourth one. So we we've got those seven antiphons, and notice it ends with Emmanuel, that, that great title, God with us. So I invite you, even if you don't normally pray the Liturgy of the Hours or don't even want to pray Vespers, um, if you're going to take 15 minutes of prayer every day, which, let's face it, all of us should try to get in at least 15 minutes of prayer, you might just meditate on the, uh, the O Antiphon for the day. And you can just Google O Antiphons Advent. You'll get tons of stuff. Or I think this is what I'm going to do for the morning message for the next seven days, I'm going to focus the morning message on the O Antiphon for the day. Because it also shows up in the, the new Mass in, in the Alleluia verse for the day. So uh, they're, they're kind of nice to med meditate on in the various titles of, of the Messiah. It's a lot more interesting than you might think, actually. You're like, um, really? The exciting part about getting close to Christmas is a bunch of antiphons that all start with O. Woo! No, it, it's actually a lot more exciting than that not even just for liturgists. You will find it exciting too. So check out the morning message, subscribe to the podcast, or get it from the website. Okay, um, so there's a little bit of that. Uh, Mark wants to wish me a good evening. He's looking forward to tomorrow evening. So uh, here's a little plug for tomorrow evening. Uh, hi to Kevin Vogt as well, music director at St. Michael's in, in Leewood. Yay for the Liturgy of the Hours. I'm sure St. Michael's is probably chanting something beautiful there. Uh, but Mark's referring to tomorrow evening. So tomorrow evening here at St. Patrick's in Kansas City, Kansas, if you're in the area, uh, I and our music director, Cindy Bounds, are going to be doing a little bit of uh, Advent Christmas music spiritual kind of meditation. Uh, or maybe not so much meditation here, more like a, a presentation. You know those Christmas carols that have those uh, crazy lyrics, no one knows what they mean, like now in flesh appearing? You know, every time I hear that, it sounds like, you know, like something should be at a movie theater. Now in flesh appearing! You know, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, what the heck is that about? And, you know, uh, anything from your, your Okomokom Emmanuel stuff, which we just talked about, which now you know a little bit more about that. Um, but, you know, what about the hopes and fears of, of all the years that are, are met in thee tonight, little Bethlehem? What hopes and fears? I don't know. Bring your, bring your questions. Bring your favorite Advent Christmas songs and like, hey, Father Sean, what the heck is this lyric about? We got into a drifted bank and, and we, we got upsot? I've never used the word upsot in my whole life except in the second verse to Jingle Bells. So, and does anyone ever sing the second verse of Jingle Bells anyway? Seriously. Um, so these and other obscure questions, uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, Thursday, the 17th at St. Patrick's in Kansas City, Kansas. We are going to be in the church. We will social distance, bring your mask. Uh, everything's nice here. We missed with disinfecting mist in between all the events. So we are the most COVID-free place that I know. No one has gotten COVID at our parish. That, that, that has happened yet. So come on out tomorrow night. Ask your questions about Advent songs. Um, one more little tidbit maybe before we, uh, we jump into St. Joseph. And that is something that I actually mentioned on the, the morning message uh, today. And that's a, this little bit about rorate. That's a Latin word, R-O-R-A-T-E. And a little bit about Latin, anytime you see that ate ending, that's normally what we call second person plural imperative. It just means y'all do this. Um, and in case this is a little weird because rorate is actually the word for 
do, as in the, the, the verb doing, like rain falling. Uh, so, rorate cheli desipur means rain down dew or drop down dew, uh, you heavens from above. Now, why is, why is that such a big deal? Well, we caught it in the, the first reading from Mass today, actually. It's from Isaiah, uh, the part of Isaiah that we consider second Isaiah. So to make things complicated, there are actually three parts of Isaiah. One is like before the exile. Uh, the second part is in the exile. And the third part is like after the exile. So it's, it's, it's just too long for probably one person to have written. So they call it first, second, and third Isaiah. Well, it's from second Isaiah today in our first reading. And, and this is why this is important. Um, Isaiah is, is looking forward to the time when the, when the Babylonian exiles, like, wait, you don't know about the Babylonian exiles? Where were you last week? I talked all about the Babylonian exile. All right, if you weren't here last week, time out. Go back when this is done, because this is live, but go back, watch last week, Santa Babylon, Santa, Santa Babylon. Uh, it's all about the exile. You really, really, really got to know about the Babylonian exile if you're going to understand Advent, uh, because... You know, it's just not as much fun if you don't know about Babylonian exile. So go check that out afterwards. Anyway, for those, of course, all of you that did watch last week's Santa Baby Lawn, uh, the Babylonian exile. Isaiah is there, and he foresees that it's going to end. And so he gives this message of hope that uh, that the heavens are going to drop down justice from above like dew. Now, dew gets all over everything, as you notice. It just it just happens or like a gentle rain that just kind of mists all day and falls down. That's how awesome the justice is going to be when the Messiah comes. Okay. Isaiah is talking about when we get to leave Babylon. But the reason why we read it today is because Isaiah had more in mind than just the return from Babylon. He, he really had in mind also the coming of the Messiah. So let justice drop down from heavens like dew and in the earth spring up salvation. But interestingly, when Jerome translated, he says, not salvation, but the Savior. So we get, um, let the just one rain down from heaven like dew, and let the earth sprout a Savior. That is, of course, a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And so that is why we read it during Advent. In fact, in the Liturgy of the Hours, in the old version that I pray from 1962, we say that verse every stinking day in the evening. Rorate Chele Desipur at Nubes Pluent Eustum. Every day. That's how important this little verse from Isaiah is. But hey, if you don't pray the whole liturgy, just show up for Mass once a week, you don't know that stuff. There's a whole nother world out there, people. A whole beautiful liturgical world. Kevin Vogt is, is clapping at me uh, because he knows about such things. So, yes. Rorate Chele. Um, you might have heard this word because sometimes during Advent there is a tradition of what is known as the Rorate Mass. Um, this uh, takes its name, of course, from the, the introit antiphon, Rorate Chele Desipur. Um, but it's typically an early morning Mass during Advent in honor of Mary, Our Lady, uh, done by candlelight in the morning. So I've seen pictures over the internet. I know it's St. Michael's uh, where Kevin is at that um, Father Wager did a, a Rorate Mass last week. And I've seen a couple other places. So I did, you know, that when I was at Most Pure of Mary, I remember. Uh, when my, my first assignment at Most Pure of Mary in Topeka. Uh, so Kathy Brennan will like this and she's on. Uh, I was I was ready to do the school mass one morning during Advent and we lost power. We, we literally had no, 
lights. And it was it was dark because it was early morning at the school mass. Um, and of all things, the photographer from the Archdiocese newspaper, the Leaven, was there to take pictures. I'm like, well, hold on. Here's what we can do. I told the servers, get all the candles you can find. This is like 10 minutes before mass. We just lit all the candles we could find and we had mass by candlelight. And I, I said, this is a Rorate mass. And um, it actually worked out pretty well. So if you've seen masses by candlelight in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Advent, you might see them called a Rorate mass. And now you know what that is about. It is this famous verse from Isaiah. And we'll hear it again this weekend at the introit for mass. All right. So there's, there's some little Advent uh, tidbits about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and the O Antiphons, Rorate Masses, and the special character of the, the days that will start uh, beginning tomorrow. One last little thing for the traditional folks out there, or people who might be traditional if you ever knew about this stuff. Today is uh, also one of the days in Ember Week, E-M-B-E-R. Like September, October, December, November. Yeah, that's that's nine, ten, eleven, and twelve ember. Um, that stuff. Uh, what's that about? Well, there are four sets of what are known as ember days, and and these are days at the uh, kind of the change of the seasons in which the church would give thanks for the season has just ended. Uh, and pray for the season of coming. So the third week of Advent is always Ember Week in Advent. And on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, those are days of fasting and what are known as partial abstinence, meaning you do the fasting thing where you have just one meal and two small meals, and it's partial abstinence for meat because for your one meal, you can eat meat. So um, a lot of people don't know about those. Don't do that. I've talked about Ember Days before. If you want to learn more about Ember Days, you can ask questions later. But uh, today is Ember Wednesday. So there's some special prayers at, at Mass in the Extraordinary Form, uh, and it's uh, technically a fast day. So I overdid it a little bit yesterday with some popcorn from Topsy's when I was at Crown Center checking out the Mayor's Christmas tree. So I kind of needed to fast today. Fasting's supposed to be a spiritual thing. I uh, I kind of blew my diet, so I, uh, I needed to fast today. It was hard because I was kind of high on that, you know, cinnamon popcorn and cheese popcorn and caramel and stuff and but now all right so i think we we've covered all that so now what about saint joseph all right well as i mentioned at the beginning pope francis has in fact proclaimed a a year of saint joseph and we're going to focus on him one of the the issues though is that biblically speaking um we don't know a whole lot about St. Joseph, okay? It, you know, he's only in the, the beginning of the scriptures, and uh, we see him in the, the early life of Jesus, and quite frankly, by, by the time we get to the adult life of Jesus, all we know is Joseph is gone. We, we don't even hear about him dying. We, do, we don't hear about anything other than the last time we see him, you know, he's with Mary when Joseph and Mary are with Jesus when he's 12 and lost in the temple, and then what the heck happened to Joseph? We don't know. And so everything we know about Joseph comes from the scripture, um, you know, there are some extra biblical texts and things that, you know, they're not inspired scripture, so you can take it or leave it. But we're going to talk tonight kind of just based on what we do know from the, uh, from the sacred texts uh, themselves. And uh, I've been praying uh, each morning from a, a beautiful commentary on St. Matthew's Gospel. So I've been using it by Erasmo uh, Maracacus. 
my spiritual director, Sister Susan, turned me on to this big commentary from Ignatius Press. It's three volumes about that thick right now. I'm actually using two of them for a doorstop back there. The other one I'm using in my meditation, but it is just mm, gorgeous. Totally recommend it. Um, so we talked a little bit about Mary last week and, and her role in uh, the coming of the Messiah. And we know that, as I said, Jesus prepared his mother. I mean, who else can do that besides God? Um, there's a beautiful line at the beginning of the, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours from the Office of the, the Comet of Virgins and other times where, uh, speaking of, of Jesus, it, it says that he is virginis prolis, opifexque matris. Beautiful. You can just, it's kind of poetic. Virginis prolis, opifexque matris. That means, get this, that Jesus is the son of a virgin and the maker of his mother. <sighs> yeah, I, think about that. Son of a virgin, like, that can't happen. Oh, except it, it did once. And maker of your mother. Whew, that definitely can't happen, and yet that did. So Mary was certainly chosen, but so was St. Joseph. In fact, there is no other man that God saw throughout all of history that he wanted to be the spouse of his beloved chosen one who was to bring forth Jesus. Uh, so St. Joseph often gets overlooked, uh, and he actually gets the title universal patron in the church because he is the, as guardian of Mary and Mary being a type of the church, Joseph's role is to protect us, to protect the church, the bride of Christ, his spouse, uh, just as he protects Mary. So the, the great saying in the history of the church is, ite adios of go to Joseph. You know, there's all this St. Jude stuff about hopeless causes and things like, don't forget St. Joseph. Okay, so what, what do we know about Joseph from the scriptures? Well, let's, let's turn today to um, a little bit then from the scriptures. From I'm going to go from St. Matthew. And if you remember, Matthew's gospel begins with that big, long genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, in short, the whole point of that genealogy is to show that Jesus is, in fact, uh, the fulfillment of of the promises that God made to David, that a successor of David would always sit upon the, the throne and govern God's people. Well, they're trying to show here that uh, Matthew is showing that Jesus is the, the son of David. He is of the royal line. Uh, and all you need to know about that genealogy, well, there's lots you need to know. Uh, but um, it, it ends by saying, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, Babylon again, hello, Matthew, the beginning of his gospel talks about Babylon. If you don't know about Babylon, for heaven's sakes, go watch last week's episode. So Babylon, 14 generations, uh, then from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So you got 14 and 14 and 14. And if you're Jewish at the time, this would be really obvious. 14, 14, 14. Uh, in, in, in Hebrew language, you, you don't have like good, better, best, you know, like uh, uh, comparative and superlative degrees of adjectives. So if you want to say something is, is good, you say it's good. If you want to say it's better, you say it twice. You say it's good, good. And if you want to say something is the best, you say it's good, good, good. So Matthew with his 14, 14, 14 is saying that Jesus is the 14th of all 14s. And you're like, ooh, that's really cool. 
No, it is. Because, this is what's going to blow your mind, names in Hebrew have numbers. I know, it's big. Well, they use letters to, they don't have numbers, so they use letters. So like number one is letter A. Number two is letter B. You know, that, well, Beth, Aleph and Beth. Uh, well, guess what? Daleth, it's kind of like D. And Vav, it's kind of like V. Well, Daleth is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Vav, or Wow, is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The name David in Hebrew, have no vowels, is D, V, D. Daleth, Vav, Daleth. Four plus six plus four, what do you get? 14. So what Matthew is saying with that whole genealogy is 14, 14, 14, David, David, David. Jesus' genealogy, he is David, David, David. He is the perfect David. He is the fulfillment of all David. Uh, that is what you're supposed to get from that. Now, very interesting thing though, right at the end of the genealogy, uh, they're all, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and so begat, but so-and-go. Uh, and Mathen was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And you would think at that point we would get, and Joseph was the father of Jesus. Except no, that's not what we get, because we already know from our Christian understanding that Joseph is in fact not the, the biological father of Jesus anyway. He is the husband of Mary, which Matthew makes plain, but he is not technically the biological father of Jesus. So Matthew's genealogy ends. Uh, this is in verse 16 of chapter one. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All right, let's, let's unpack that a tad. We get to Joseph, the, the big payoff for all of, of the genealogy. We finally got there. I mean, if you hear this read at Christmas Vigil Mass, which you, you could, uh, you've just sat through 14 names and then more 14 names and another 14 names. And you don't know any of these names except maybe David. Like, oh yeah, I know him. And finally you get to the payoff in Joseph. Great. And Joseph is not even the father of Jesus. He's not even the, and Joseph begat. No, you get all the begats and there is no begat. For, for Joseph, it's rather of whom? Of, of her. Joseph is the husband of Mary, and of her was born Jesus. Now, today we might do like, oh, you know, big deal. It's a huge deal, all right? Matthew has just gone to great lengths to give us Jesus's credentials. But in the end, Jesus isn't even legally at that point the son of Joseph. Is not biologically for sure. And if Jesus is not named according to Joseph, how can he even be in that genealogy? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but there's also something else really interesting here that that commentary mentioned that I was, I was talking about. So all the other people are begat by somebody. And it, in the Greek, it, it's really interesting because it's the person doing the begatting that has all the, the, the important action. So-and-so begat this other person. The emphasis is on the person doing the begetting. But it, it shifts when it comes to Jesus. It's no longer about who did the begetting. Uh, in fact, now it's about, it, it actually puts Jesus as the subject. There's, there's a special way in, in 
other languages where you can show this is the subject and this is the object. To put it simply, and all the other begats before it, the thing that is begotten, the, the son, is the object. But when it comes to Jesus, he's actually the subject, meaning he's, he's the one in control. We're, we're actually supposed to focus on him uh, and forget about the whole genealogy that just came before. Forget about who did the begatting. Now let's talk about the final begat, which is Jesus. That's, that's pretty amazing to think about, uh, that when Jesus comes, all of creation shifts uh, to, to him being the primary actor. And he is born of Mary. And notice it doesn't even say what Joseph's role is in this. Joseph is the husband of Mary. Jesus is born of Mary. But it doesn't say that Joseph is the father of Jesus, because he's not. Except, Joseph will, in fact, become uh, the legal father of Jesus. And that happens when he gives him his name. Okay? Remember that, because we're going to come back and talk about that. Joseph gives Jesus his name, and that's how he gets in legally to Joseph's genealogy. All right? We'll get there. So after all that, we're now in verse 18 of, of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All right, now there is a lot going on there. First of all, we need to talk about betrothal. You're like, oh, that's kind of a flowery sort of word for engagement, right? Um, no, not, not actually. Uh, similar, but like when we talk about engagement today, we normally, we're talking about, um, you know, a, a guy gives a girl a ring and they agree that yes, in the future, we're going to get married. And sometimes people are like a year and a half later. I cannot imagine being engaged for a year and a half. Uh, if, if we've decided we're going to get married, it's going to be soon. I mean, we'll do marriage prep and everything, but of course, um, yeah, waiting a long, long time, not a good idea. So in the biblical times, engagement, called betrothal, was much, much more formal. In fact, notice that the scriptures will even speak of Mary and Joseph as husband and wife. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, as we'll see. All right, so what's the deal with that? Well, betrothal was a legally binding agreement, unlike engagement, you know, it was really the beginning of the marriage, but kind of a pre-marriage time. And here's why this is important. Because what would happen is when uh, a man would get engaged, and, and by the way, it, it probably wouldn't involve the woman. It probably would mean the man going to the father of the bride and saying, I would like to marry your daughter. And they would arrange a price. Uh, yeah, we've come a ways. Uh, and the father would consent. The daughter didn't even have to consent, really. The father would consent for the transaction with the bridegroom. Um, and they would then be officially betrothed. Now, they don't live together yet. Yeah, I know, weird for today, right? In fact, during the betrothal period, part of the point was that they had to live apart for about a year, somewhat to test them, to prove that, A, the woman was not already pregnant, and B, that they could live chastely, because they know that if you're getting married just out of passion, uh, they found out that these marriages did not work very well. Hmm, I wonder if we could learn anything from that. Anyway, you were supposed to live apart for a year and prove that, in fact, you could live chastely. Meanwhile, the husband 
would go and he was to build a house, provide a home, get a job, so that everything would be ready when it came time to actually be married. And what was the sign of the marriage actually being permanently taking place? The bridegroom would come from the new house that he just built. He would come to the home of the bride to her father, and he would take the bride back to his own new home. And then, of course, they would consummate the marriage on that night. That is the sign of the wedding, the, the bride being taken to the home of the, the new bridegroom. Okay? So, with that in mind, hear that verse again from St. Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is, what we know from this right away is that Jesus's conception takes place at a time when they are merely betrothed, but before they have come together. And this isn't referring to like sexually coming together. This is referring to coming together to live in the house. The, the bride has not been taken to the house of Joseph yet, so they are not having relations yet. And yet she's pregnant. This is a problem because, well, what does this mean? Well, it, it means one of two things. Uh, either Mary has had relations with someone other than Joseph. And by the way, Betrothal is so serious at this point that this would be considered adultery. You're like, well, they're not married yet. Betrothal is a big deal. Mary would have been guilty of adultery if she had had marital relations with someone other than Joseph. So that's option one. Option two, Mary and Joseph had relations and they blew the whole betrothal agreement. And it's, it's going to be considered Joseph's fault that he couldn't control himself. Uh, and then took advantage of Mary during the time when they're supposed to be proving that they're chaste. Okay, so either way, this is not a good situation because, well, at this point, people aren't aware that babies could be conceived by the Holy Spirit because it's never happened before and never happened since. So we have the only virginal conception in the history of the world. So you can excuse people for not thinking of the third option that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary is the only person in the whole world who knew about that option. And probably Elizabeth at this point, and maybe the people there who she visited, which we know that from the Gospel of Luke. So, continuing in the Gospel of Matthew then, this is where we really learn the important things we need to know about Joseph. It says in verse 19, And her husband, Joseph, remember, they're betrothed, so he's a husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. All right, what's going on there? Okay, most important thing we need to know about Joseph. I said we don't know much about Joseph. Well, this tells us just about everything we need to know when for a Hebrew, it says he was a just man. Okay, this means not he's a good dude. It means no, he is following the law. He is following the scriptures. He's following the law. He is living as a true child of Israel. Okay, he does what he's supposed to do before God. He is living in Zedek, in righteousness, in right relationship with God. Okay, so right away we know, all right, Joseph is not the one who messed up the betrothal. He's the right man. So not, not his fault. And of course, we know it's not Mary's fault either. We know what happened, but 
Joseph knows, not my child, and we know he's a righteous man, so he has a couple options. One is that under the law, he is allowed to denounce Mary as an adulteress. She is betrothed to him. She has promised to be his wife. She is named his wife at this point, and she is pregnant with someone else's child. He can expose her publicly as an adulteress, and the penalty for adultery is death by stoning, as we read in the Torah. Jesus uh, comes up against this in the stoning of the adulterous woman in the scripture. Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Well, that's, that's the law. And so Joseph would have been able to take advantage of that and get revenge. Or maybe not even so much revenge, but just being a just man, this would be under the law. And it might even be the right thing to do under the law. Or Joseph can do what is just incredibly heroic and not denounce Mary. And that leaves only option number two in the list. And that is that, in fact, the child is Joseph's child. And Joseph is the one who messed it up. Joseph took advantage of Mary. Joseph would appear not to be a just man. That's why it's so important that Matthew tells us Joseph was a just and righteous man, okay? Because everyone will think the opposite of him if he doesn't denounce Mary as an adulteress. So what does he resolve to do? He says, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make an accusation. I am not gonna expose her. I am just gonna go away quietly. That would cause everyone else to think that Joseph is in fact not a good man. Man, just just stop and think about that for a minute. That is an incredible thing that Joseph does. Okay, this is before the, the angel has come to him in a dream. Uh, as far as he knows, it, at least, it, you know, it's an option in scripture. Is Joseph may believe, or at least have to have serious doubt, that uh, Mary committed adultery. And yet... He's, he loves her too much to expose her to any shame. That is amazing. That is heroic. Think about it. Anyone else could do that. Joseph does. And there are possible explanations why. And so let, let me just, let me say here that um, it's important to note that there, there are multiple theories. So one, one could be that, um, you know, Joseph thinks Mary committed adultery and so he does the, the thing that he does because he loves her. Um, he, he's not going to allow her to be killed. He couldn't, he couldn't take that. So he will rather just take the shame upon himself, stay quiet, and uh, let people think that he's the bad guy. Uh, but he really knows that Mary committed adultery. All right, that's one possibility. The other possibility, and I, I have to say I'm, I'm a little more swayed by this one, as have the fathers of the church been, various of them. And that is that Joseph, being a just man, and of course, knowing Mary to be the most virtuous woman he's ever known, Mary would, of course, told him, uh, I didn't commit adultery. This, this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The angel Gabriel came to me. He asked me to be the mother of God. I said yes, and that's the deal. Joseph believes her. Joseph 
can't, maybe can't understand. I mean, how can you understand exactly that? But he believes Mary. He's confused, but he believes her. And so now think about this. Joseph knows that Mary is pregnant with God's son, that the Holy Spirit has claimed Mary as his spouse. God has claimed Mary as his spouse. If you were in Joseph's position, it seems like there's a prior claim on the person you wanted to marry, and that person has a better claim. So Joseph, being a righteous man, would be completely in awe of the fact that he is not worthy to be the husband of Mary. He is certainly not worthy to claim to usurp God as her husband. Uh Uh-uh, ain't touching that. I will humbly bow out of the way. Okay, that is, that's a theory that I think maybe holds a little better weight. Joseph agrees to go away quietly uh, because God has inserted himself here and and Joseph is not going to get in the way of, of God. He certainly thinks he's not worthy and so we'll just go away quietly. Okay, so that's the the kind of, of other theory. Now, I know I know we've all been waiting for this because this is the moment that we have the great connection with Joseph of the Old Testament. Poor, poor Joseph, what you gonna do? Dreams are haunting you. Hey, what you gonna do? Yeah, Joseph of the Old Testament. Go, 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 Joseph, you'll make it someday. That guy, yeah. Well, dreams are haunting him. Why? Joseph is a dreamer. That's why he's got his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Joseph has dreams that that help Pharaoh, uh, who sees every great come come out of the Nile. Uh Joseph tells him what those fat cows are about and interprets the dreams. Joseph, in the Old Testament, is spoken to by God in dreams. Hmm. Fast forward. Verse 20 of Matthew's Gospel, number number chapter 1. Joseph, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Isn't that great? Joseph, son of David, son ultimately of Israel, son of that whole family, is having dreams, just like Joseph in the Old Testament. So we should immediately be able to connect that and say, oh, another Joseph who dreams dreams. Okay? No mention of a color dream coat here. Joseph just dreams. Joseph, son of David. As if to say, hey, reader, don't forget about the 14, 14, 14 thing up above. And Joseph, hey, you remember? You're of the royal line, remember? The Messiah is going to come from your line, Joseph, son of David. Remember who you are. And then the angel tells him, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now we get the answer to the uh, begat side of things. Uh, Who begat Uh, Jesus? Well, he's eternally begotten, uh, and he's conceived in Mary of the Holy Spirit. There's the answer. Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, as we hear in Luke. That's where Jesus comes from. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All right, now I mentioned about Joseph giving him his name. So here's a, here's a really important deal. All right, the angel tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. There is a lot more going on here than, than simply Jesus getting his name from Joseph. Okay, we know who mothers of children are gently, uh, generally, because, well, babies come out of women. So if you see a baby coming out of a woman, there is a good chance that that woman is the child's mother. Probably about 100% normally. It's a lot harder to tell who the father is. So the only way that someone becomes legally the son of a father is when the father gives the child a name. Okay, and this would happen eight days after birth when the circumcision takes place, which we celebrate Jesus on the octave day, his circumcision, octave of Christmas, now called the feast of the octave of Christmas, but the circumcision of Jesus. Notice the angel says, do not be afraid to name the child. Now, why would Joseph be afraid to name the child? Well, this is why I think the the second theory I mentioned above, that Joseph was feeling unworthy and wanted to divorce Mary quietly because this is God's child, not his. Joseph would have been saying, what am I supposed to do when it comes time to name the child? I, I can't name the child. I'm not his father. I don't have the authority to name this child. This child is God. I, I can't name it. That's why it's important that the angel says, no, no, you, Joseph, are in fact to name the child. But he's going to have this name, Jesus. Okay, so Joseph doesn't have to be afraid to claim the child as his own. And this way, Jesus becomes legally a part of Joseph's family line, which is of the house of David. And by the way, uh, scholars also think that probably Mary was also actually of the, the line of the house of David. So maybe both of them were. At any rate, how does Jesus become a son of David? When Joseph names him. Now, a little bit uh, about uh, this, this play on words, though, uh, about Jesus' name. Uh, notice it says that uh, you shall call his name Jesus for or because he will save his people from their sins. What's that about? Well, the name Jesus, Jesus, in, in Hebrew is Yeshua, Yeshua. You ought to be able to hear Joshua. If it sounds like Joshua, Yeshua, Joshua, it's because it's the same name, the exact same name. Joshua, you know, the one who leads them into the promised land across the, the River Jordan and everything after Moses dies. Same name. What does it mean? It means Yah, Godway, Yahweh, salvation. God saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. That's literally what Yeshua, Jesus, means. So now hear it again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see that? See the connection there? Ba back in uh, Hebrew days, and, uh, well, a, a lot of modern days, too, like, names mean things. Today, if people go to name their kids, a lot of times they, like, make up something that sounds neat. Um, but I mean, think of scriptures like there's, uh, Abraham, you know, he's Abram, which means father. Then there's Abraham, which means father of nations. See, the name fits, uh, his, his mission. Jesus is the perfect example. Yeshua means God's salvation. Pfft. Jesus 
he literally lives up to his name. <laughs> he, he is Yahweh in person. He is Yahweh's salvation. He does save the people. Um, so names mean things. And that's, that's what that's about with Jesus' name. It's a play on words in Hebrew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And there we're back to the O Antiphons. Remember the last O Antiphon? O Emmanuel, the last great title of the Messiah, uh, the one that gives the refrain to the beautiful song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And just in case we missed it, because we don't know Hebrew, St. Matthew tells us, which means God with us. El is another name for God. Emmanuel is with us. El, El is with us. God is with us. And so when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, which is what we would expect from Joseph because he's a righteous man. So of course he's going to do what the angel of the Lord commands him. He took his wife. Okay, this is important. He took his wife. Okay, so Mary is his betrothed. It's his wife. He took her. Where does he take her? He takes her into his home. He takes her back home to the new place. This, in other words, Joseph completes the marriage ritual. They've, they've been betrothed. She might have committed adultery or she's pregnant. And so he's scared. And so he is going to end the betrothal and send her away quietly. Then he has the dream, meets the angel. And so when it says he took his wife, it means he brought her into his home. He completes the marriage ritual therefore taking kind of the uh, the blame upon himself in the eyes of the people. Oh, this this is Joseph's child, uh, and, and Joseph just didn't live chastely. But notice, we know, of course, that if Joseph has not had relations with Mary, but Matthew even makes clear to us in verse 25 that although he takes her into his home, and the next thing we would expect would be that they consummate the marriage, he says, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Knew her not. And knowing the word know in the, the Hebrew and biblical sense means to have sex, marital relations. Um, so it's saying they did not have married relations. And then there, there's this little until thing. Uh, the, the word in, in, in Hebrew, it, it doesn't imply anything happening afterwards. Sometimes Protestants will get all in a, a buzz about this because, oh, see, he didn't know her until she had given a birth. And sometimes until in English can imply that this didn't happen until, and then it did. But, you know, we also use it without that implication also, you know. Uh, and and he was faithful to his marriage until death. Does that mean all of a sudden he was unfaithful after death? No. Uh, so it doesn't have to imply anything after it in English either. And in Hebrew, it just doesn't. Um, it's just saying that they did not have relations before Jesus was born. And we know, of course, they didn't after either. So she gives birth to a son. Ah, what do you know? So far, what the angel said is working out. Imagine if it had been a daughter. Woo! Then Joseph would be like, I was duped. But it's a son, so that's good. Uh, and he calls his name Jesus. That's the name that the angel gave him. So Joseph fulfills everything that we were told about him. He is a just man. Uh, and so he does what he's supposed to do and uh, names Jesus. So at that point, Jesus is officially a uh, part of his family. He is a part of his line. He is the, the son of David, the heir of the promise. And, and Joseph has uh, fulfilled all the, the first challenges of, of what God gave him to do. Uh, of all that, I am, I'm just most inspired 
by the way, that Joseph is willing to to sacrifice his own reputation uh, for the one that he loves. Because regardless of whether you think he's a specter of adultery or he is just overwhelmed by the fact that God has chosen her, um, at the very least, he's sad that she is not going to get to be his wife. This is someone he loved more than anyone in the whole world. He, he wanted to be married to her. Imagine, I mean, of all the, the guys who think they marry the perfect girl, Joseph was actually going to marry the perfect girl, uh, the only one that ever existed. And then all of a sudden he finds out, no, he's not because she's pregnant and either she committed adultery, so he needs to divorce her or she's pregnant with God and he really needs to divorce her. Um, either way, uh, Joseph's plans were going to change. And uh, of course, he finds out pretty quickly from God that they're going to change uh, in ways he didn't even think. It's kind of like this whole year, people are asking me like, hey, uh, what are we going to do about uh, this or that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's my first pandemic. I don't know. Well, this was the, the first uh, virginal conception of God for Mary and Joseph. And, you know, I have to give him pretty high marks, actually. I, much as we, uh, we know the end of the story. So we're like, of course, Mary said yes. And, of course, Joseph said yes. And it didn't go great. Well, keep in mind, they both had complete freedom, the way you and I do. And we know how much we mess things up with our freedom. So uh, it didn't have to work out so well. Um, but it did. So, yes, Mary was especially prepared and was conceived without sin. But Joseph, I mean, he was prone to temptation and sin just like the rest of us and gave into it, no doubt. Um, that's pretty amazing how much Joseph got right. And uh, we're going to have a whole year of St. Joseph now to unpack this uh, and really learn about this, this great foster father of, of Jesus. And we, we use that term foster father uh, as just kind of a, a deference to the fact that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, but it's perfectly legitimate to say that Joseph is the father of Jesus as well. Jesus would have called Joseph father. Uh, of course, he referred to his father in heaven, but growing up, we know that Jesus had to grow and learn. Uh, the gospel tells us that after they, they find him in the temple when he's 12, he goes home and he's obedient to them and he grows in wisdom and knowledge and grace. So there is a sense in which Jesus in his humanity needed Joseph to teach him how to be a man. And I, I think that's something that all of us uh, need right now, and especially in this, this year of St. Joseph, to pray for fathers. Um, I mentioned a, a little bit ago uh, a question someone asked about my coat of arms. If you look on the, the bottom of my, my coat of arms, the, the motto there is Ostende Nobis Patrum. Uh, it means, show us the Father. It's a famous line from St. Philip the Apostle, my patron from my middle name is Philip. I think today more than ever, I put, I put that on my coat of arms because we need fathers. We need good fathers, men who will be real men, who will live out their vocation to take care of their wives. And that means, sure, physically, like Joseph would have had to go and get a job. He was a carpenter, an architect, maybe. Uh, he built a house. Joseph did all the manly, manly, powerful things a man needs to do. But the most powerful, manly thing Jesus ever did was he was willing to lay down his life, his reputation, everything he dreamed of to protect his bride. Who else does that? Jesus, his son, will lay down his life for his bride, the church. And although that was Jesus's mission from the time the angel gave him his name, I'd like to think Jesus 
also learned how to lay down his life for his bride because he saw Joseph do it every day for his family, for Mary and Jesus. Joseph was the one who taught Jesus how to be a man and how to be a husband. So thank God for St. Joseph, someone that we will get to talk a lot more about uh, throughout the coming year. But tonight I wanted to give you a little bit of the uh, the background of St. Joseph that we know from, from St. Uh, Matthew's Gospel. As we come into these last days of Advent, remember tomorrow, the, the very special day, the beginning of the, the O Antiphons. So I, I hope you've enjoyed this, this talk tonight about the great St. Joseph, and particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. That was all from the first chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. So you might just pull that out and read it. Skip the genealogy if, if you want and, and jump to it, but then take it a verse at a time and just pray over that. Think, what was Joseph thinking? What was Mary thinking? What am I thinking? How does that apply to my life? Could I say yes, like Mary? Could I lay down my life, my reputation for my spouse, the way Joseph did, even when I don't understand? And make no mistake, they did not understand. They said yes, but they didn't understand it. So if you don't understand God's plan, you're in good company. Ite ad Joseph. Go to Joseph. I don't know if God will speak you in a dream or not, but one thing is sure, if we follow the example of the righteous man, St. Joseph, we can hope for no better example uh, of what it means to say yes amid great challenge and difficulty and to lay down your life for your spouse. Beautiful St. Joseph, pray for us, and God bless you all.